Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The The doctors doctors are are in. in. Today on Writers Group Therapy, we have the multi-talented Ken Atchity, a best-selling author, producer, literary manager, professor, and editor who aptly goes by the moniker The Story Merchant. He got his BA at Georgetown and his PhD at Yale. He was a tenured professor of comparative literature at Occidental College and a distinguished instructor at UCLA Writers Program. He's worked in publishing and filmmaking and is a member of the TV Academy of Arts and Sciences, as well as the Producers Guild. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be with you on this. Yeah, well, thank you for being here. You know, that that's actually, I think, a really brief intro, because if we were to tell everyone all the stuff you're doing, it would take like half of the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No, it's great. Um, you know, the question is where to start with all you're involved in. I think uh, most of our listeners would find it interesting to hear your take on the entertainment industry as a whole. Uh, publishing, TV, film, uh, where do you see the most opportunity in the current, you know, uh, entertainment industry since you're in so much of it? Well, you know, there's, I'm, I'm publishing and, uh, you know, the Hollywood side, and the story is different on each side. So uh, I'll talk about Hollywood first. Uh, sure. Today, because of COVID and uh, and a lot of other factors, kind of jockeying for position between theatrical motion pictures and streaming uh, pictures and television. Uh, The the huge opportunity is in streaming and television, because these are markets that are voracious for material. The more channels they have, the more they need stories to fill the channels. And, uh, And they're more certain. I mean, they are a cash register that writers can depend on uh, because they are not as impacted by COVID. Uh, in fact, they may even be positively impacted by it. People are staying home and watching more and more programming on their screens at home. Uh, the the uh, independent film market and the major studio film market is massively impacted by the pandemic, the uncertainty that, that it generates when it comes to production, the extra cost that it generates. All of those things are uh, really dwarfed in significance when it comes to streaming and television. So that's where the biggest opportunity is at the moment. Things always change, but right now it's it's a hugely hungry market looking for stories. A great time to be a writer who, if you've got dramatic stories for that market. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Netflix saw a huge spike in their stock price over the last few years because they had just huge subscriber growth because people were home and needed to watch, you know, content. And then there was actually a kind of a shortage of content at first because everything shut down. And then, then they figured out how to produce in COVID. So now they, then they started just cranking up and pretty much all the studio space in LA is just packed at this point. There are ways to deal with COVID on the set and they're, they've learned them and uh, it does add anywhere, uh, somewhere around 20% to a budget. But um, that's a small price to pay to actually get the productions moving along uh, to supply future needs. Okay. 
and you said it's different for your the publishing world obviously it's very different obviously you don't need a whole bunch of people to publish a book exactly and the publishing world is is divided into two sides the traditional publishing world which is becoming more and more uh, esoteric and a long shot for new writers uh, because it's owned by corporate you know international conglomerates who care only about the bottom line and are entirely focused, almost entirely focused on brands and uh, existing successful writers. So mm -hmm. it's hard to get a new one published, but the direct publishing market, which is the other side, is stronger than ever. And uh, now probably more books are sold in, in that market than they are in the traditional market. Really? But is it more of like an 80-20 kind of thing? Like in the traditional publishing market, you know, you know, twenty percent of the writers make eighty percent of the the books, whereas in the self publishing, it's eighty percent of the writers make twenty percent of the books, or something like that. No, it's 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 roughly the same ratio on both sides. Uh, uh, you know, a small, relatively small percentage of writers make most of the money, and that's because they're they're doing good marketing and they 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 have good you know good books and. Uh, the, 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 so it's probably the, the same Pareto principle that you're enunciating, the 80-20 thing is true in both markets. Cool. Yeah, so there's opportunity, you know, uh, for unpublished writers is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we specialize, one of my companies specializes in turning books into films. And a few years ago... Um, that became harder and harder because it was harder and harder to sell books to the traditional publishers because they'd all been taken over uh, by not editorial owners, but owners that are strictly business and, and only cared about the bottom line. So we formed our own publishing company. And five years ago, we published over 300 books and are setting up these books for TV and film uh, just as, ah. you know, as much as we did the other ones. So. Uh, Hollywood loves books, no matter what, because it, as long as they sound like books and look like books, um, they love them because they have a depth of content that you, you know, you just don't have if you've you've got an original idea for a screenplay. And uh, they love to have the screenwriters give them the ability to mine that content uh, and thicken, kind of thicken, you know, deepen the screenplay. Mm hmm. How is selling a book to a studio different from pitching, you know, a spec script or a treatment to a studio? Well, the book right away, they love because they can they can have people read it. They can read the book and, and see all the possibilities of it. And, uh, a, you know, a treatment uh, is basically the idea for a movie. And a screenplay is is the worked out idea. So that all becomes a question of the execution of the screenplay. Even if you have a great story, if the screenplay is not superb, uh, it, it's not as easy to sell as a book is because a, a book, you know, from the minute you start reading it, that you can change anything you want to change to make it into a movie. I even mm -hmm. used to give a course called Designing Your Book to Be a Movie for people to do before they write their book. So that, uh, you know, it'll have the shape of a movie, even in book form. And, you know, the best acc accolade you can get in that situation is, gee, this, this book has got to be a movie. It reads like a uh, movie. 
and uh, Hollywood loves to hear that. Yeah, and I should say you have a book called "Sell Your Story to Hollywood," which is about it's a writer's guide to the business of show business. So you actually coach people on this subject specifically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as a as a literary manager producer, we've made something like three hundred deals in Hollywood, and uh, have produced over thirty movies, and uh, so. I, I love helping writers, you know, cut down their learning curve from, you know, maybe 10 years down to a year just by sharing my experience with them. I used to be a professor, so I still have it in me that I love, you know, teaching and uh, guiding people to get, get get the best out of their lives. Mm-hmm. With the, um, the uh, industry the way it is now, you know, I've been told a lot of times just the do-it-yourself kind of thing, like self-publishing, but doing that with the screenplays and making your own short films, you know, narrative podcasts, people are doing that, graphic novels, anything to make it easier for a development exec or a producer to absorb the story. I mean, do you see that as as a thing people should be doing, um, creating, you know, ancillary products on their concept? Well, it's a two-edged sword. It's a very good question. But it is a two-edged sword that we deal with every day. Uh, it's a good idea if you do an incredible, superb job and, and uh, identify mm-hmm. yourself as a, an amazing new screen, screen talent. But if you're, if you're not as skilled as a director and as, you know, as a DP, as you are as a writer, it's dangerous. Because the minute you show them something that isn't going to knock their socks off visually, then they're going to not be interested in in pursuing the property. Whereas you can give them a strong treatment or a strong book or a strong screenplay. uh, And even if it has some flaws in it, they can see it much better without, you know, without being negatively influenced by uh, visuals that they didn't, you know, weren't weren't grabbed by even down to the casting or maybe especially the casting. If you're not casting, fantastic actors, um, then you are actually interfering with your own sale. It's much better to, uh, to let the imagination of the buyer, uh, help you in that way, instead of putting it all in front of his eyes, you know, with, with a a weaker visual than, than this property deserves. So you're saying you can do it, you can do it that way, but only if you do it really well, otherwise stick to stick to writing something really good and or treatment, which is something else you, you have a book on writing treatments that sell, uh, write a treatment that, that really knocks them off their, their, uh, knocks their socks off. Yeah. Because then to the next step. Yeah. Because then if they, if they get a treatment that knocks their socks off, they can take it to one of the writers they want to work with again and have the writer turn it into a screenplay. And uh, the same thing, of course, with a book. So that that is a safer way to go for writers who are wondering about whether they need to do things. But having a visual presentation, we always, before we take a property out, make a lookbook that kind of shows you the movie on paper um, and, and gives you a potential of it. But that's that's with our producer's eyes enhancing the screenplay or the treatment or the book that we're trying to sell. Okay. In a, in a way, in a way that the market we know the market will like. 
that's the other thing I've been told, uh, especially with an animated project I was working on, was you have to have a beat board, you have to have a, a Bible for, you know, especially for shows, they they want to see a Bible and the Bible and the lookbook sometimes kind of blend together what's what kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. They, they want to be able to see it, but they want to be able to see it in a way that they know that's a positive way. I always I always say in all my books that what you want to do is create at the at the at the worst clear lenses with which they look at, you know, glasses that are clear when they see your story. Ideally, rose colored glasses. Right. And definitely not brown glasses which is what happens if you give a, a weak visual presentation. Um, so you, so the whole thing we try to do in a presentation is to make it, you know, rose-colored, obviously. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a short break to learn about another writer's podcast, The Writer's Toolkit, and then we'll be back with more Ken Atchity, The Story Merchant. The Writer's Toolkit Podcast with Paul Kalbergi. In the first season, I sit down with veteran Hollywood screenwriters and playwrights working in the West End and on Broadway. I find out how and where they like to work and the writing journeys behind some of their best-known works. So if you write for stage or screen, join us for inspiring conversations about the writing life, as well as tips and ideas for maintaining a healthy writing practice. The Writer's Toolkit Podcast. I want to flip it around just one one weird, weird way. Have you ever had a case where someone was trying to sell a screenplay, play, couldn't, wrote a novelization of it, sold the book, then got a movie made based off the book? Yeah, we, we've had exactly that case. Uh, really? You have? Okay. Exactly. I mean, we, we found a screenplay because it placed in the Nichols Awards, which is the most wow. prestigious screenplay awards out there. And we read it, we loved it, and we signed it and took it out to the studios, and uh, no one would buy it. They all agreed it was oh. a great script and a great concept, but they didn't know the writer, and they didn't know, you know, they just didn't feel there was a, it was a big project, and they just thought, this is too big a risk. Um, we'll talk about that, hopefully, in a minute. But um, okay. So what I did is I talked the writer and it turned it into a novel which Pitchy did with their, the help of one of our companies. And uh, and six months later, we sold it to a major publisher and uh, and took it back to the studios as a book and had an auction. Several, there were three different bidders on, on it. And uh, and then when, they, when we closed the deal for the book, uh, I told them that the writer had written a screenplay and they kind of moaned and groaned, but they bought the screenplay too for a nice sum mm -hmm. of money, and also starting that the writer's uh, screen career, and uh, and ended up taking it to a bigger writer after going through the process of, of that first screenplay. Uh, but but there's an example, and and we that's why we call ourselves story merchants, not script merchants or book merchants, because. It's about the story, and, and our goal with any client, uh, any project, is to make it as a successful story in as many media as we can, uh, mm -hmm. because there is an interchange between the media. Uh, so sometimes that's why you wind up with the uh, story by credit instead of the screenplay by credit, because right. you sell the story. Yeah, exactly. The story... 
is one thing. The story is sometimes separable from the screenplay, but not always. But when it is separable, uh, the Writers Guild has the story by credit. Gotcha. Um, Yeah, so in the the business of um, selling stories, again, you focus a lot on on selling treatments, that's uh, writing treatments that sell. I started, when I first started writing, was kind of the idea. I didn't actually want to be a screenwriter. I I hadn't thought about it. And I said, I just want to sell my ideas. And so I started writing treatments, writing treatments. And and then it kept getting to the point where, well, where's the script? So then I started writing scripts and then I enjoyed that more than I thought it would. I mean, there are a lot of people who just go around selling ideas and don't actually do the screenplays. Is this correct? You know, it's, it is minimally correct. Um, There's a couple of producers who specialize in in that, and they usually have very strong relationship with, with successful screenwriters. Um, And Uh, and that's where they can always, uh, you know, have a chance to, to show it to people that, that could turn it into screenplay. So if you have a cool story idea and a, and a accomplished screenwriter who wants to do the story, that's a perfect package to take into the buyers. Um, so, but, but in general, that doesn't happen these days as much as it used to because the buy, there are more buyers than ever before, and they're, they're more demanding because they're more writers than ever before. And mm-hmm. th- they can afford to be to get what they call an undeniable presentation, which is where, you know, at, at the at the most extreme, where you have uh, a pilot of a series, for example, the pilot script written, a showrunner attached, a star attached, mm-hmm. director attached, and everything is cool, and and that's called an undeniable package. But you can sell it with almost with any one of those elements. Uh, added to the screenplay or, or added to the story. And the story mm-hmm. can be a book or so on. Yeah, all that stuff we go through and sell your story to Hollywood in detail. Okay. This It's subtitled, uh, A Writer's Pocket Guide to the Business of Show Business, to show yeah. how the business works. Right, we spend so much time worrying about writing that we forget about the whole business side of it. Yeah, which is obviously the infrastructure upon which all else you know, relates. If Shakespeare hadn't talked the Queen into letting him build the Globe Theater, he wouldn't have been so prolific. Um, mm-hmm. Because you know, now we had a theater; he had to pump plays into it, and a lot of them were his. Right. Uh, yeah, and he didn't have to write a whole lot of treatments and stuff either. <laughs> no, because he had a track record, and if he said he wants to do King Lear, like Spielberg wanted to do West Side Story, who's going to say mm-hmm. no? Exactly. I wanted to ask you about treatments. I was reading about uh, some some of the uh, parts of the writing treatments that sell, and you say that a treatment's primary function is to sell and diagnose a story. What is diagnosing a story? I thought that was an interesting phrase. Well, you know, a story uh, when you when a story goes into a professional gatekeeper like ourselves, we immediately see things that are wrong with it that will make that'll keep it from being sold, and. Uh, uh-huh. We can we diagnose it, in other words, for our clients and tell them how to fix it, make it well, so it can go out there. And a treatment is is a much handier way to do that than having the whole screenplay written already, because for one thing, from a huge reason, the writer's psychology is not as invested in the treatment as it would be in a screenplay, uh, for obvious reasons. He spent all that time mm-hmm. doing the screenplay. Uh, so if you say this character should really be female. 
uh, or this character should really be, you know, of a different race, the writer is not going to resist as much as he would if he had written, you know, spent a year doing a script. So that's what I mean by the value of it as diagnostic. Uh, so it, its two functions are diagnosis, uh, so that you can help straighten out the story, get the story straight, or, um, you know, for for marketing, to get it out there and get people to read it, because it's easier to persuade them to read a treatment than it is to get them to read a script or a book. Um, is it similar to how you would um, think about um, outlining or... or um... Uh, beat boarding a story too as well well all those things those are useful but they're usually used after the deal has been done because the difference is they don't have the passion that a treatment has to have the treatment shows the passion of the story and the beat sheets are just what happens oh, and, right. and the beat sheets are kind of a specialized tool used once the story is officially in development heading for production um, and, and so that the the writer who's doing the revision doesn't have to go through the whole script he first does a beat sheet to make sure everybody in the group agrees with the direction that he's suggesting the story go in what are what are some of the um biggest issues that you find with your clients with their work that you're always you know kind of like the first thing you're looking for and the first thing that you're saying, this is something we need to work on. Well, uh, too many elements is, is one that's quite common. Instead mm -hmm. of simply focusing on the protagonist, the antagonist, uh, the important supporting characters and not 30, you know, minor characters that have to be dealt with, uh, you know, especially when you're adapting a novel to a screenplay, uh, the, if it's the novelist doing the adaptation, the novelist wants to include every single thing in the novel. I mean, that is just mm -hmm. natural. Uh, and and it doesn't work because film can't handle all that stuff. It doesn't need to handle them because, you know, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a moving picture is worth a million words. And the <laughs> idea is what, what do you have to show here to get this story across? Not, you know, trying to show every every color every bathtub every you know hat in the novel yeah so do you, uh, do you have many writers who who try to do uh adaptations of their own books as screenplays uh i i, I wouldn't say many but i definitely have a, a solid handful uh okay. and, and some of them are very good at it and others need a lot of help and and others really are not good at it <laughs> Sure, it's you know some people have strengths in writing prose, and some people handle screenplays better. I guess, right? Yeah, it generally They're that's true. Deeds. I mean, yeah, it 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 all depends on the writer because some writers are are so brilliant, basically, that they they operate in both media naturally. They they can do it. As a as a producer, since you are also a producer, you were you produced um, Hysteria with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, Erased for Aaron Eckhart, and I just read that the Meg is getting a sequel, and you worked on that with uh, Jason Statham. What is your speciality in the producing realm? Because there's a lot of different kinds of producers. Well, I, 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 that's a good question because it took takes a lifetime to figure that out yourself, especially if you're like me, a generalist who likes to do everything. But oh. my specialty, the thing I love the most is development. 
I'm uh, with mm-hmm. the Producers Guild magazine called Once in an Interview, a, a development producer. Um, ah. So I, I love discovering the story, perfecting the story, take it to buyers, putting the deal together. And uh, I, you know, I, I love production, but it's definitely not my favorite part of it because uh, because of the problems involved, the, the human psychology involved. Uh, I, I'm much happier in the quieter world of development. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, I do what I have to do either way, but uh, that's what I love the most. Yeah, that's the I think the more creative part actually, because you're creating and then and then you you let it go and a whole bunch of people descend on it and produce it actually physically produce it. And then you wait and see what the final result is. I, I'm kind of the same way. I like the beginning and the end. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't call it the more creative, the most creative part of it sure. because production is incredibly creative. I mean, you have problems every day that have to be solved with creativity, not just with money. Um, and that's the difference between independent production and the, and the majors. The majors mm-hmm. can solve things with money, but independent production has to use creativity to solve them. And so, Every part of a film, you know, the, the wardrobe department, the props department, everyone exercises creativity at all times during production. It's just a different kind of creativity. And uh, it's, it's more immediate. It's more like problem solving. And, uh, but, and, it, and it is thrilling to be involved in that. Yeah, I, I've done some uh, production and it is grueling. It's uh... a... <laughs> Uh, someone yeah. someone someone taught me um that uh producing is uh you solve solving problems until there aren't any more problems to solve that's what producing is yeah that's true that's true and there will be problems every day i, I was a kind of a master of time management until i started producing my first movies and realized that i hadn't thought about how do you manage crises how long does it take for a crisis to happen so i started figuring that out and realized that crises ha- take about 45 minutes to resolve during production. Mm-hmm. So I found yeah. a way of scheduling that 45 minutes because they had to be a floating 45 minutes. They couldn't be, you know, I'm going to do that at two o'clock. You, you've got to do it when it happens and you've got to redo your schedule around it. But, you know, what I, what I love about this world is that it's the ultimate challenge in human experience as far as I'm concerned. It gives you more problems of every kind from psychological to moral to, you know, to artistic than any other thing I can imagine. That's what's, that's why it's exhilarating. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Seeing it all come together is, is one of my, it's kind of my favorite part is uh, the post-production is seeing it all kind of come together at the end. Exactly. Yeah, what are you what are you working on right now? Do you have uh, anything specific? Any new books? Any uh, you have workshops that you produce as well? Um, yeah, I have I have a coaching that we I do one on one because I started missing that interaction that I had when I was a professor. But I'm uh, I just finished a musical play uh, based on the music of a Canadian composer. It's called Forever and Ever, and we're looking to get that produced i'm in uh the, the final throes of getting a movie set up called the seating a horror movie and uh i'm also involved in raising money for a 200 million dollar film fund with a guy who's financed over 300 movies and raised three billion dollars over his lifetime and 
So there's never a dull moment. Uh, we, we're pitching the series, uh, you know, around town. We're, we're we sell books. We've got we're negotiating with a studio on a client's book right now. Um, so there's something to fill up every minute of every day, basically. And what more can you ask for? It's you know, a bit overwhelming, but it's also uh, what happens when you start planting seeds long ago. They start blossoming, and it's th- thrilling to see that. Cool. If listeners want to check out your books, um, we'll link to them in the show notes. Um, uh, where can they find you on social media? Are you active online anywhere specific? Um, yeah, we're kind of all over the place, but our their main website that you can navigate from is storymerchant.com. Story Merchant, one word. And uh, that okay. guides you to the other websites and to the social media and all of that. Um, but yeah, that, and you can reach me by email at just my name, actually, at storymerchant.com. Wonderful. Cool. Uh, one last word. You do, you wanted to say something about risk before. What were you going to say about risk? Well, you know, the risk of, of being in this business is something that challenges every part of your mind and heart and brain. But risk is what is exciting. If You, you know, taking risks is what makes life alive. And uh, it, it's something every writer does by making the decision to write. And I have in my book, A Writer's Time, all kinds of uh, observations about how writers can sabotage themselves and do, um, uh, yes. how they can avoid, you know, writer's block. And and the biggest risk of all is to commit to the career and say, nothing's going to stop you. Never put a deadline on your career, because the minute you put a deadline, your brain is going to conspire to sabotage that deadline um, and test your, your resolve. But if you just say, my resolve is not testable, I am going to do this uh, until, as long as it takes until I get it done. Uh, that's, that's when things start happening. That's when commitment you know, brings that visualization rule to bear where the universe starts helping out. Well, that's that's uh, really a, a good point to, to kind of wrap up on. That's really a nice and, uh, thing to kind of leave people thinking about. I like that. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Ken. It's been this has been You're really welcome. interesting. Yeah, I'm really going to look into your books and and some of your uh, your podcasts some more because uh, it's I found uh, the stuff I listened to was very kind of uh, inspiring, motivational kind of things, giving me lots of uh, ideas. So I'm I'm thankful for it. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. It was a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, anytime. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, check out all the links uh, to Ken's books and uh, sites in the show notes and on writersgrouptherapy.com. And don't forget to like, follow at WG Therapy on Twitter and Instagram and let us know what you think. Or better yet, write us a review on iTunes. Uh, see you next time for more Writers Group Therapy. 